I am over the twisty domestic noir, but you send me a book that says, you won't believe the shocking twist. At this point, it's kind of like, I will believe it. (laughs) Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 149. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, What Should I Read Next producer, Brenna Frederick, is in the virtual studio with me today, and she's bringing an armload of your questions to the table, gathered from email, Instagram, and the comment section. What did I do with my life before I became a blogger and podcaster? What movie is totally better than the book it's based on? How do guests get themselves on the show? Are audiobooks really considered reading? I'm answering all these questions and more, plus dropping a bunch of book recommendations straight from my book heart to yours. Let's get to it. Brenna, welcome back. Hi, glad to be back. I'm really excited to do an Ask In Anything again because the last time we did this, that was over a year ago. Yeah, these are some of my favorite episodes because I get to ask you questions that I wouldn't usually ask during, you know, a normal work day. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. <laughs> If you did not listen to our last episode where we did this, that was episode 89, and it was from July 2017. If you're not a longtime listener who's been here since the Ask In Anything 2017 days, you might not know. Our producer, Brenna Frederick, who gets a credit at the end of the episode, but something I've learned is that y'all don't listen to the end. (laughs) So people email you throughout the year when we do things like Ask In Anything Mm -hmm. and to send funny listener stories. When else do people email you, Brenna? Sometimes people email me and ask me which episode had a certain guest or which episode mentioned this particular book, and I do my best to help. Sometimes I get emails with people asking you on another show, and I talk a lot to our guests. Brenna at modernmrsdarcy.com. Yeah, come talk to me. I'm friendly. (laughs) It's so fun to be back. So we asked you all to email Brenna, respond to the newsletter, and to tell me on social media, mostly on Instagram, what your questions are. And I don't know what these questions are. (laughs) 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 What's in store for the next hour? It's going to be a lot of fun. We got a lot of reading questions, but we also got some questions about your personal life. And I thought we might start there like we do normally with guests. Normally we have a little chit chat. We talk about their personal life, maybe their work. And then we talk about reading. I thought we could do the same today. I'm ready. Okay. So this first one was sent via email from Jacqueline. And Jacqueline asked, what did Anne do before Modern Mrs. Darcy? And what should I read next? I love hearing someone's background. It gives me hope and encouragement for a future change in career or lifestyle. Well, after obtaining my education degree from university, I worked in the field of property law. Oh, wow. You know, the the usual path. Can you tell us more? (laughs) (laughs) I come from a family that has a lot of lawyers and judges. So that seems like a very obvious path until I realized that I maybe did not have the love of the legal profession in my heart. So I didn't actually go to law school. So thank you, stars above, (laughs) not having that realization after incurring that monumental debt. I am forever grateful for that. No kidding. I know. But if your favorite part of the legal profession is writing documents about boundary disputes and mortgages gone bad, then maybe you have a future 
in writing. And I've always loved to read, just always, always, always. In education, I... I think that plays into, I had an emphasis in non-formal education and I've always been fascinated by how people learn, what insights they draw from the works they read and how people shape their beliefs and what those influences are. Here's one that came from Instagram. As a highly sensitive person myself, I'm curious, when did you find out that you're a highly sensitive person? The first instance when someone explained to me, actually this someone was in a book, but we're book people. We talk about, you know, people on the pages like they're in our real lives. (laughs) And this is an actual human, not a fictional character, but it was uh, Susan Cain who made a reference to Elaine Aaron's highly sensitive people. And I read like the three sentences she wrote and I said, oh, that's me. And I got her book out of the library and knew instantly that was me. But there was one specific moment in time that I remember referencing immediately because it had happened not too long before I'd read the book. And I tell the story in my book, Reading People, the one about personality with the subtitle, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything, if you're looking for it at your library or bookstore online or wherever. And I had just found myself because of the stage I was in my life then, uh, which feels both like it was yesterday and also a really long time ago, just (laughs) frequently overwhelmed by the events in my everyday life. So there was one instance in particular that I looked at what had happened that day and that day being a regular basis. It was on Thursdays actually. And I realized, oh, oh, I know exactly what's going on there. And there's something I can do about it. Do you remember what the first change you made in your life to sort of accommodate that and make yourself feel better on a day-to-day basis? That's a great question. The first change, honestly, I, this might sound really depressing, but I think I started keeping the house a little bit neater because I didn't mm-hmm. realize that that was a trigger for me. And I started changing the way I structured my week a little bit because there was Mm -hmm. this one day that just completely overwhelmed me. And I didn't understand why Thursdays were not good days for us back then. And as soon as I realized I was an HSP, the light bulb went on. I was like, oh, I see it. And if I shuffle around the things we do on different days, I think we can all not lose our minds. What's that book that you've referenced about highly sensitive people? That's a phrase coined by Elaine Aaron. It's A-R-O-N. And the book is The Highly Sensitive Person. Although if you are a highly sensitive person, ironically, you might find that difficult reading because of the way she talks (laughs) about how... I know, isn't that funny? It's so ironic. But the way she talks about how HSPs are so sensitive to and often disproportionately affected by traumas of different kinds, reading about how that plays out in highly sensitive people's lives can be really overwhelming to highly sensitive people. But her companion book, The Highly Sensitive Child, has all the information you need and is a gentler read. So that's a highly sensitive person life hack. Exactly. (laughs) Read the kid book. (laughs) Something a little lighter, maybe. What are your favorite podcasts? Ooh, that's a good question. We got this question both sort of generally and some people wanted specifically to know reading podcasts. What other ones should I listen to? You know, I go through bursts where I listen to a lot of podcasts and I don't listen to any. And it's because I'll listen to an audiobook and depending on if it's three hours or mm-hmm. 23 hours, I might not listen to podcasts honestly for weeks. It depends on the seasons. Like around here, school just started and I will be spending more time in the car and some of that will be by myself. So I know my podcast listening will be up. And some of that has been that I've just been, I hate to say I've been busy, but my schedule has been full. So when I've been walking the dog, I've been doing it without anything in my ears, which is not something I do when I'm not feeling a little bit 
Like I need to let my mind go. But just this morning, I was listening to an episode of Reading Glasses because I'm chatting with them later to record a podcast episode. I love the librarian is in. I think that's lots of fun. There's a local podcast I like that does have a global appeal. It's called Five Things with Tara Anderson. And I always love Pantsuit Politics with Sarah and Beth. There are a bunch that I listen to regularly, not always as regularly as I like, but there are a bunch that I love, but those are the four that I've listened to most recently. Do you think there's a podcast people would be surprised that you really like? If they haven't heard me say it before, I think they might be surprised. I love Off Camera with Sam Jones. I think he's a brilliant oh, interviewer. Mm-hmm. His podcast is about the creative process, but he interviews a lot of movie stars and sometimes singers and TV, I almost said TV characters and people you see on popular TV shows. And I don't watch any of that stuff. Like I haven't been to the movie theater since the Hunger Games. I haven't seen a movie at home. Well, I, The Incredibles was playing in my vehicle when I was driving it recently, <laughs> but I haven't seen a movie in so long, not really by choice, but because I've been needing to get up early and I can't stay up late. And my kids and I can never agree on what we want to watch as a family with a wide <laughs> range of kids. So we end up watching um, Carpool Carry So I often haven't seen these performances that the guests are talking about, but I love hearing about the process. You just mentioned your kids. We got a couple questions about what's your family like? Oh, if I had a dollar for every time I used the word weirdo yesterday talking to my (laughs) kids as in you are a, I mean, they're my family. So I think they're great. Will and I got married when we were babies. We were 21 (laughs) and 22. So we've been married a long time now and we have four kids, two boys and two girls. And I think they're pretty great. They're all readers to some extent or another because everybody always asks me that about my (laughs) kids and Mm -hmm. I am awfully fond of them. What's your favorite thing to do as a family? Ooh, I think if you ask the different people in the family, you might get different answers. (laughs) We like to hike. We like to paddleboard. That's something we just started a few years ago. We just went camping for the first time. Oh, how'd that I go? Know. You no, know, it was not a disaster. That's good. That's yeah, actually yeah. pretty impressive, I think, for a first camping experience. In the past week or so, we played 10 Days in Europe and Monopoly together. Not everybody loves Monopoly together. You know, it's so different to play as an adult. Have you played Monopoly as an adult? Yes, I um, I play with my husband, Kellen, and we, we fight really hard. <laughs> <laughs> People won't play with us anymore because we fight a lot. I haven't played in years. It was occurring to me as I was playing with my children. Oh, wait, there's a strategy here that I was completely oblivious to when I was a child. At which point my strategy was buy it all and then you go broke. (laughs) As an adult, it's different. So as far as your work life, lots of people wanted to know if there was another book in the works and if you could share any details, if there is. Yes. I try not to say the same things all the time, but (laughs) I did sign a contract. Oh, when was it? A few months ago to write another book. It's due in March, 2019. It sounds so far away. (laughs) It's nonfiction. And I shared a photograph of the contract on Instagram. So if you think I know this, but how it's because I shared a photograph on Instagram. So it sounds like you can only tell us what it isn't. (laughs) It isn't a book about the reading life. And that's all we can know. You know, writers have different ideas about what they want to discuss while the work is in progress. Mm -hmm. Some are very superstitious about discussing what they're working on while they're working on it. They don't want to talk about it until it's done. I don't Mm -hmm. think I'm superstitious, but I 
don't want to talk about it while I'm working on it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I don't want you to quit listening and say, Kelly, she is really cranky. I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. I have been working on it a lot this summer and I've really enjoyed writing it for the most part. As much as one can enjoy the writing process, I have been enjoying it. But I'm sure I will reach a stage between now and March where I want to break things. So how about how about advice? Do you have any... This was a question from Janine and she sent it in by email. What advice do you have for someone who wants to start writing, especially in terms of overcoming insecurity or small steps to take? I hate giving advice, but small steps to take, I can answer that. I would say that a lot of people think if they don't know what to write, they don't sit down to write. And I would invite you to think of writing as the way of finding something out, not the way of stating something you've already found out. I've personally found that to be really freeing. And I know not everyone shares my personality, but the mindset that you have to write your way to the answer instead of writing down the answer has been really freeing for many writers. The other thing I would say is that you can't wait for inspiration to strike. It might strike occasionally, but that is the path that leads to not writing. But <laughs> all the writers I know who are successful, whether that means they journal every day and it brings them joy and nobody reads it but them, or they publish books whose titles you all would recognize, believe in the power of butt in chair. And that is almost always how they <laughs> phrase it. Like if you're going to get the writing done, you have to put your butt in the chair and actually begin to write. Even if when you sit down, what you start to write is, I wonder if the mail is here yet. I'm thinking about getting up, but I'm not going to yet just have to sit down and do it. I was just reading one of David Sedaris's books. It might've been Diabetes with Owls. And he was talking about his journal. And it seems like he would probably agree with you. I mean, of course, David Sedaris agrees with me, Brenna. <laughs> How could it be any other way? Uh, have you written on the blog about morning pages? I feel like I've seen something from you about that. I know I have, but I also know that's been two houses ago. Oh, wow. So I know, I know. Because I can remember where I did morning pages and it was going on. I could actually do this house math, but we're looking at five-ish years now. But the morning page concept does come from a book called The Artist Way. So if that catches your imagination, you can go look up what the originator of this idea says about it there. Okay. We did get a couple like behind the scenes questions. And I swear a couple of these, people are going to think I wrote them because they sound a slight bit like ads, but I think these are actually things people want to know. I swear I didn't write them. I oh, have so names curious. to attach to them from the people who emailed. <laughs> this question is from Kelly via email. I'm wondering if there are things that the modern Mrs. Darcy and What Should I Read Next team works on together, or if everyone pretty much stays to their particular jobs. For example, topics for the annual reading challenge or forum questions for the book club. Is anything like that ever brainstormed as a group or is it mostly individual work? We would not have had a reading challenge in 2018 if it wasn't for the team because I didn't want to do one. I felt like when we started the reading challenge, it was something that was not everywhere. And five years later, it was everywhere. And I didn't feel like people needed a reading challenge from us. And then my team said, no, they really do. And it turns out they were right. Um, what else? We're doing a lot of brainstorming now, or we're about to be, because we just finished our annual Modern Mrs. Darcy survey that we do every summer. So everyone is having fun looking through all the results. And some of the brainstorming that happens after is just fun. Like, oh, this is so interesting how a bunch of readers said they wanted to know about this particular thing. We could do a blog post. And some will read the comments and will say like, oh, a bunch of people don't know 
that, I mean, we always have readers who don't know there's a podcast, for example, so, or podcast listeners, you don't know there's a blog. We try not to like beat you over the heads with there's content, (laughs) go check it out (laughs) because that would be really annoying. So we're just always looking to find the balance of informing you without overwhelming you. And we have a lot of conversations that start with, do you know what would be fun? Or do you know what I was just thinking about? Or I had this crazy idea, or we got this really interesting reader comment. A lot comes that way. And Brenna, because you often see the podcast guest submissions forms before I do, I get a lot of Slack messages from you that say, oh, hey. (laughs) I love this person. We must have them on. Yeah. Exactly. Or what if we took this angle Uh, I get emails from people with suggestions for guests and sometimes they're like, you should have my grandma on. And sometimes they're, you should have this author on. And who's the person who said, I don't understand why you haven't had LeVar Burton on yet. Oh gosh. We love you, but come on. I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just squeeze him in the week after Oprah. Okay. Stephanie asks, I would like to know about the Modern Mrs. Darcy book club. What is it specifically? I'm not on social media. (laughs) Do you have a private Facebook group to discuss books? I read about five books a month and I have no one to tell. Okay. That's so funny. That does sound like an advertisement. So this is a book club that we have on our member sites. We discuss one core selection every month and we often have one or two, we call them flight picks. I made it up based on the concept of a wine flight where you will sample at the same time, small tastes of different wines from different regions or the same varietal from different regions. And you can even have coffee flights or bourbon flights. But the idea is that these conscious pairings can give you the means to contrast and compare that you wouldn't have if you were just sipping randomly. So every month we have a core selection and one or two flight picks. And for example, in September, we're reading Gaudy Night by Dorothy Sayers, our core selection. That's a very old book. And we're pairing it with special topics in calamity physics by Marisha Pessel. So they're both campus novels. They're both mysteries, but they have very different vibes, very different feels, very different themes, but they overlap enough for the contrast to be really interesting. We talked to the authors for more than half of our book club picks in the past calendar year. And being able to talk with an author about their work really unveils themes that often we didn't see talking about the work just kinds of nudges you to another possibility for interpretation, which is really what reading in community does. Like one of my favorite instances of that was when we read The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna at the beginning of the summer. We had several members who were personally affected by post-traumatic stress disorder, their experience with the situation and how they felt that it was or wasn't done justice in fiction that had very similar themes was so interesting. And really they brought a perspective to the story that I could not have gotten on my own. In October, we're reading Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan. And we're pairing that with You Learn by Living by Eleanor Roosevelt, which I think will be very, very interesting to discuss. But I really want to dig into what is timeless about Eleanor Roosevelt and what was very specific to 1960 in her childhood. Also, her final few chapters are about involvement in politics, and she has some strong opinions about that. And that'll just be really interesting to read, especially right before the midterm elections. Wow, no kidding. Yeah. And then we have classes throughout the year and special events. It's a good time. And I wish it was easier to describe because I have found that's the kind of thing <laughs> where when people arrive, they're like, oh, 
I didn't know this was what I was looking for, but we hear over and over that this is the place that I find my bookish kindred spirits. And if you ever finish a book and you think, oh my gosh, I have got to talk to somebody about this, you, you can. It's right there. Yes. And uh, if anyone wants to sign up, you can go to members.modernmrsdarcy.com. Okay, one more question that's going to sound like we planted it and then we'll get to reading. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple people asked how to apply to be a guest on the podcast. Wait, no, no, we didn't plant this. We have more submissions than, I mean, we could have, we could keep our podcast going until like 2037, Brenna. For real. You do the honors. You can go to what should I read next slash guest. There's a little form to fill out. I will say it has been tweaked a little bit and there are a couple different questions on it that if you filled it out before, there might be something new in your reading life you want to talk about. It's, it's worth looking at that form again. And then they hit my inbox. We look over them together and... It's so hard to narrow it down. <sighs> okay. Reading. <laughs> Shannon asked, I know you don't like to mention books that you don't like on your website because all people remember when searching for a book is that they heard it from you and they think you recommend it even if what you said was that you hated it. But I'm wondering if you leave those books off your website intentionally. So if I go search for a book on your site and you can't find it, does that mean you hate it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, let me say what Shannon is talking about, if you've never heard me say this. I've had the experience over many years of writing about books of writing perhaps a very detailed review that says, I read this book. I didn't think it was good. Here is why. Or sometimes I'll put it in Quicklit, the monthly roundup I do on the 15th, where I just share short and sweet reviews of what I've been reading lately. And I might say, I read this, wasn't for me, thanks anyway. Every single time I do this, I'll get tagged on Instagram, I'll get emails, I'll get something that says, I read that book you said you loved and I hated it. Or <laughs> I read that book you said you loved and I loved it. Thank you so much for recommending it. And what I've learned is just like me, like I can remember where I saw something, but I can't remember really anything else. People just remember that they saw it on Modern Mrs. Darcy or that they heard it on What Should I Read Next? And that fills me with terror for your reading life because I don't want to do that to you. Sometimes I get the emails that say, oh my gosh, I love this. Thank you so much for recommending. And I just think, oh, that could have gone the other way. So I'm glad that worked <laughs> out for you. But so do you leave them off? I don't always just leave them off, but I often do. If I thought it was a bad book, if I thought it was badly done and it didn't fulfill its purpose, or if it was even like damaging or harmful, I won't talk about it at all. But I do recommend books that I don't personally love or perhaps don't even personally like on the podcast all the time because other people's reading taste is different. And with most of the books that I read and actually finish, because I'm very choosy about what I read, I can see objectively, this is a good book. It's not for me. And I can tell you why but it is for many other readers. So unless I think it's just truly bad, I won't leave it off. It's far more likely that I just didn't read it because I didn't find it to be worth my time personally. There was a time when I felt like I wanted to have an opinion about the big books everyone was reading, especially in a season. And now I just don't care about that. There's too much to read. Okay, this question is from Paula. And what book have you not read that haunts you? What book stares at you from your bookshelves, silently screaming, pick me, pick me, but you just haven't read it yet? I've crossed a lot of those off my list in the last five years. Like Wuthering Heights was the big one for a long time. And I finally read that. Emphasis on big. <laughs> <laughs> I finally read that two houses ago. So it's been a while. I, there's some classics 
I haven't read that get referred to a lot. Like now I can't even think of the guy's name. Proust. I've never read Proust. I've never read Madame Bovary, like the whole thing. I've started a few times. And despite promises to my editor that I would make amends immediately a full year ago, I still have not finished The Counts of Monte Cristo. That's a hefty book, so I don't think anyone can blame you. <laughs> she gave me permission to read the abridged version, but I mentioned this on social media and I got this whole like outcry of, no, uh, you can't do that. <laughs> I think that's actually where I went wrong. I'm like, wait, do you mean I really do have to read 1,200 pages? I don't know about this. I don't think I could ever, so salutes to everybody who has managed that. <laughs> This is from Instagram. I think all the rest of these are from Instagram. What's the first can't miss section of the bookstore you usually visit? I always like to see what's new. Is that the same when you're traveling? Like if you go to a bookstore in a new place, do you still go to the what's new section? Well, yeah, because you trip over it walking through the door. So that's probably not a fair question. You can't avoid the what's new section. I really like the staff picks because those booksellers are always different and they're always reading something different. And I just love to see what people who are surrounded by books all day choose to recommend to fellow book lovers. I also really love books about books, which I don't think will be surprising to you. And I like to peek at the travel section. Oh, I was so excited to see this question come through because it's a favorite subject of mine. Curious. What is your favorite graphic novel? Ooh, I really like Relish, which the copy I own, you gave to me, Brenna. Yeah, that's right. I really like El Defo also. Mm -hmm. So that's like a middle grade and a little bit older pick. Is that coincidence or not, do you think? I guess there are more graphic novels put out for those, those age ranges. I would definitely disagree with that. (laughs) (laughs) How about that has to do more with my graphic novel experience? Sure. I think like the average reader sees more graphic novels for middle grade, but there's like this endless pool of them, Anne. You know, if you ever need a recommendation, let me know. That's like half of my reading. Point taken. And I just read Persepolis for the first time and really enjoyed it on the recommendation of a podcast guest. Oh, here's a fun one. What are your pet peeves in a book? (laughs) (laughs) oh i hope this doesn't sound too cranky i don't have a lot of patience for storytelling that doesn't have like meat and substance behind what's happening in the plot so i feel like i've read a lot of novels in the past few years where there's plot a and things happen and there's plot b and things happen and they unfold in a predictable development there's not much character change and growth the characters probably have some like adorable quirk to them, like they're obsessed with sprinkled donuts or they (laughs) can't go four days without a pedicure. It'll be like, oh, isn't she cute? She has this quirky thing about her. Or she's always like pushing her curly hair behind her ear. And it feels like you have the structure of a novel, but not the depth of one. And when I read one of these, I feel like I just read 400 pages, but I could have done with just a plot summary and feel like I knew everybody just as well because Mm -hmm. it didn't have any weight to it. So like formulaic almost? Yeah. It's like reading a really long outline. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not really here for that. Also, like so many readers, I am over the twisty domestic noir. Like it has to be really good. But but you send me a book that says, (laughs) you won't believe the shocking twist on the cover. That one's going to the bottom of the stack. At this point, it's kind of like, I will believe it. (laughs) I still will almost always be willing 
in wanting to read an author who does a wonderful job of doing what they set out to do in a book, no matter the genre, with just a handful of restrictions. But I want it to be done well. So shocking twists because they're selling well right now? No, thanks. Do you ever skip or like skim sections of books that don't seem as interesting? Oh, yes, I totally do. I feel like you'd have to. You read so many books. I have learned, though, that if I find myself skimming a lot, that I need to ask myself, is it time to put that book down? Because Mm -hmm. I've learned to recognize that when my brain wants to flip into let's get this over with speed reading mode, there may be a problem. I do go into speed reading mode if I'm like scanning a section that's um, particularly violent or graphic where I want to read the mm-hmm. story, but we're going through a rough scene, like maybe we're on the battlefield or something like that. I want to read the book, so I don't want to miss anything huge, but I also really don't want to consume those words. So I might skim really aggressively through there too. But for the most part, if I start skimming repeatedly, I maybe should stop reading that book. For a long time, I didn't abandon books. I just like power through and finish them. But I have learned to recognize what powering through looks like for me. And if that's what I'm trying to do, then maybe I would be happier reading a different book because I got a few to choose from. We also got a question about what one of the scariest books you've ever read is. Do you read scary books? I know with the highly sensitive person thing and not liking a ton of violence or gore, maybe needing to skim over those parts. Is, is scary reading a thing for you at all? I don't read horror, but you know, that's funny. I just got asked the question for an interview the other day. What's the scariest book you've read recently? And the answer was Maggie O'Farrell. I am, I am, I am. And it's not framed as a scary book, but it's a memoir of 17 ways she almost died. So like much of it was absolutely terrifying because if it happened to her, then could it happen to you or someone you love or, you know, these accidents in everyday life? I found that seriously disturbing. It was a great book. I'm glad I read it, but wow, it was scary. Oh, here's a good question. How do you remember all the books you have read so you can recommend them to us? Do you remember all the storylines? Do you use a cataloging system? How do you keep track? I just have a really simple book journal. I haven't been keeping it forever. I wish I had, but it is simple. I just write down the title, the dates, I put a little star if I really loved it. I put a little empty circle if I abandon it. And sometimes when I'm sitting down to record a podcast, I'll flip through all the books I've read in the last few years just to refresh my mind because if I don't see it, it's almost like it doesn't exist sometimes. Mm. I won't necessarily be able to like find it in my mind if I don't have some kind of trigger to remind me. This is another reason that I love to keep the books that I've read and loved on my actual bookshelves and not like on my Kindle or at the library so that I can see them and remember they exist. So while we're on recommendations, is there any book that's a universal recommendation that you could recommend to almost almost anybody. That it would be worth your while to read, maybe, but that you're going to read and love? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and go, "Oh no, wait, there's one." But I don't. I don't think there's one that everybody will love. Okay, how about this then? Is there any book that if you had the power to like beam into people's brains? across the world, what would it be? Ooh, at this moment in time? Mm-hmm. Brenna, my journal's in the other room. Okay, I know that <laughs> over the past few years, I felt that way about Just Mercy, and I felt that way about being mortal. 
What I like about those books is that not only are they talking about like tools that should be in the human tool belt, but they also break down common misconceptions people have about uh, really important aspects of life, like getting older and how the world works and how justice may or may not be available to people based on their, um, their skin color. Even now in, um, in our contemporary time, which feels very progressive some days and not at all on others. And for that reason, especially, I think they're really valuable reading. To a lesser extent, I feel that way about um, like Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan for women. I just think it's so good. And she talks about issues that are really relatable to women and really important happening right now. And maybe to men as well. But when I was reading it, I wasn't reading it through that lens. And I think that any book that applies to women could apply to men and vice versa. And yet I'm willing to bet the statistics on who's reading that book is rather lopsided. That's a really practical answer. That that, that was all nonfiction, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. All right. Giving people tools. I'm sure there's some fiction that I could wedge in there too, <laughs> but I'm going to need to look at my journal for that one. Okay. How about this? What's your favorite movie that has been made from a book or even a movie you found better than the book? A Room with a View by E.M. Forster. Great adaptation, movie better than the book. Wow. Serious European nudity. Heads up. (laughs) Good to know. I mean, there's some teenage boys running around a lake. It's all in good fun. And then the very proper sister who's Helena Bonham Carter, like stumbles upon them in the woods with her parasol. I don't know. She gets the giggles because it's her brother and they're being ridiculous. (laughs) But if you're used to watching American films, that scene will surprise you. And you probably want to know what's coming. But we watched that as a family movie with my children and they thought it was ridiculous. I mean, they thought that scene was ridiculous, but they really enjoyed the movie as well. So what makes it a better experience than the book for you? Well, I suspected this for a long time. I mean, I knew that I enjoyed it better than the book and I thought maybe I just wasn't sophisticated enough. But then one of my college professors was like, oh, you've seen that? Isn't it so much better than the book? And I felt so validated. In the pages, it's a story. In the pages of some books, it's a story come to life. But the movie really lives and breathes in a way that books can, but I don't really feel like this particular book did. Speaking of interpretations of stories, we got the question, what do you think is the best book cover of this year or last year? I wish I had them all in front of me. Is it terrible to say I'm quite fond of mine for I'd rather be reading? <laughs> it's not I mean, terrible. It's beautiful. It's got books on it. It's my library in yeah. like really beautiful watercolor. So they made it look better and clean and neat. Kimmery Martin had a book come out earlier this year called The Queen of Hearts. It's this really gorgeous aqua-ish kind of turquoise color and has yes. this really beautiful, vivid, multicolored I mean, it's a human heart, but it's done in flowers, so it doesn't creep me out, even though I tend to get squeamish at sciencey things. And it's just so pretty. But also, I am particularly fond of that specific shade of blue that's kind of like an oceany greenish blue or bluish green. That's my favorite. Like the nest, regardless of what you think of the book, is that color. If a book is really that color, I like to pull the jacket off so that I can see the actual book. It grabs me. Um, Yellow books have gotten really trendy recently, apparently, because they catch your eye on the internet and people are more likely to buy them. So if you're wondering what's with all the yellow books, that's why. But I thought the ensemble from this year was a really gorgeous yellow cover. Okay. I think we'll just close out with some advice. Weren't you listening? 
I don't want to give advice to people. <laughs> this is reading advice. Does that help a little? I feel like every single week you give advice. You just don't call it that. Well, what are we going to call it? Tips? Uh, <laughs> recommendations. They're recommendations. All right. I can do recommendations. Okay. Uh, my TBR list is so long. When do you let go of books that have been on the list for a while? You know, it's funny, like some of the books that I have rushed out and bought when there was like a bookstore sale or an Amazon code, because, you know, let's be honest, that happens, have been ones that I didn't read for years or still haven't read. And it's, I just, I'm not really sure what's going on there. I don't know that when is a question I can really answer for you, but I will say if you have stopped being excited about reading that book, that is a good time to drop it off your list. I wouldn't say that's like after three months or three years or 30, but if you see that on your list and go, eh, it's time. You can always add it back on if you get re-enthused. Do you think it's a good idea to like read the synopsis of a book before you drop it though? This is a problem I have where I'll have this huge long TBR and I know at some point this seemed interesting, but I don't remember what it's about. Oh yeah, that happens for sure. Okay. Something that I do love to do if I'm thoroughly documenting my to be read list in my journal is I like to write down who recommended a book to me and why. So if I write down that my friend Claire recommended a certain book, cause I was telling her how I'm going to a certain country next year. I don't have plans to go anywhere next year, but let's just say that happened. Then when I see that on my list, I can go, Oh, I'll remember what she said and also my enthusiasm for it if I have that little bit of a detail. But if I just write down the title, even though I'm sure I'm going to remember, I hardly ever remember the reason I wrote it down and the reason I was first excited about reading it. Okay. Can we talk about pet peeves again? Yes. When you judge a book by the synopsis, you're judging the premise is explained to you by a marketer who's not the author who's supposed to be selling you the book with a synopsis. So Dark truths. Okay. I love reading the synopsis <laughs> and yet that's it's not... It's not by the book. And sometimes it doesn't bear that much resemblance to what's in the pages of the book, but it sounds really good as sales copy. The synopsis is sales copy. So having another conversation with that friend or asking your friends, hey, has anybody read this? This is especially easy to do at book club or on social media just to say, hey, has anybody read this? I don't remember why I put it down or I'm thinking about crossing it off my list. They will tell you things that aren't marketing copy or the plot, but probably more often their emotional reaction or the thing that they remember reading it weeks, months, years later. That's the kind of information that might actually be helpful. The synopsis can be helpful. It's just so fraught with peril. I sometimes forget that it's somebody, usually somebody entirely unrelated who writes those things. Okay. One last question. And I think it's going to hit you a little funny because it seems like it seems like a question that our listeners wouldn't have. But I think maybe there are a lot of people who will relate to it. Do you have any tips for people who don't necessarily enjoy reading but want to enjoy it? You know what, Brenna? Something that has really surprised me this year is we've had a lot of people confess to liking to listen to reading, but not really enjoying it themselves. This is just a factual statement. This is not my take, although I might be curious in yours. <laughs> when I do book tour events, one of the most frequent questions I get is my husband, boyfriend, partner does not like to read. I'm an avid reader. This is killing me. Help me. Help me convince them to see them. Like, how do I win them over to the reading side all the time? So what do you recommend? I tell them they're screwed and it's hopeless. <laughs> no, I don't really. Um, 
I think, okay, one, one way people run into problems is they try to read the books that it feels like everybody else likes. All the readers like. <laughs> right, 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 right. Or, you know, they have one friend who's working on them really hard who says, well, I thought this was amazing, but it's not the right book for that reader, which is especially important if it has to really be the right book if you are going to read. So some people don't read and they're like, eh, whatever, not for me. No judgment here, although it's hard. But <laughs> I heard the pain. <laughs> but if you want to ease your way in and give yourself a fighting chance of enjoying the reading experience, there are a couple of things you can do. You can start with something short or funny, like something I've loved this year that has really connected with a lot of readers who aren't necessarily readers is Heating and Cooling, this little book of micro memoirs you can read in 90 minutes, even if you're not a reader. Or, I mean, if you like to leave books in your bathroom, this would be a great book to do that, even though it's gorgeous and it might hurt some people to see it there, but it's a, cause it's so small. She's so gifted with words. She's actually the, I, sh I shouldn't tell you probably that she's the poet laureate of Mississippi. Cause you probably heard poetry and you're like, I'm out. But <laughs> what that means is she is gifted at being compact and punchy with her word choices. And in this book, she's telling stories and they are funny and smart and witty and really short. So you can have a reading experience in like, I don't know, a minute and a half in the case of some of these little micro memoirs and the whole book is short too. So you can finish a book and be like, you know what? I am a reader because I just read that whole book, even if it had the word count of a shortish think piece in the Atlantic. You read a book. Another big way to work in is topically. So you don't want to have a reading experience for the sake of a reading experience. If the topic or setting or something about the character really speaks to you and catches your fancy, just follow that curiosity. This could be fiction. This could be nonfiction, but that connection, especially a lot of people find when they don't love to read, if it is a connection they have in their own personal life where the character's life really resembles their own or the setting is someplace they've lived or loved or want to go to, that can really be a point of entry for them. And the third way is to um, like to read, to connect with others. Like I've seen a lot of non-readers really enjoy books like um, Text Me When You Get Home or All the Single Ladies or something that they don't necessarily want to read for the sake of reading, but they really want to talk about the topic with people in their real lives. If you think about it as reading for the sake of connecting and not reading for the sake of needing something to do on the couch on a Thursday night, that might help you. And then finally, you might find that some kind of accountability is helpful for you. And if that's the case, you know, find a buddy and read something together. I mean, you could find 10 buddies or a hundred, but just one would do. Just someone who's going to say, hey, have you read that yet? Because I want to talk about chapter seven. I'm holding back my own advice because nobody asked me. <laughs> what is your own advice? I find that graphic novels and celebrity memoirs are really good ways in for people who are used to like constant action or if they watch action movies, lots of those people really like comic books and that's a step into graphic novels and that's a step into novels. And also they're really good for people who don't have a ton of time. They have all that like visual punch and they keep you involved because there's other things to look at other than words. And then if there's an actor you like, there's a, such a good chance that they have written a book and that's a door into memoirs. 
And to take that a step further, if you do find a celebrity memoir you want to read, if it's somebody that you know from TV or the movies, they probably read it themselves. So you can listen to that celebrity tell you their own story in your ears in the voice you're accustomed to. Yeah. And that's reading. That is reading. Listening to an audiobook is reading. Wait, don't we usually get a question? Does that count? Let's just answer it. That counts. Of course it counts. Of course. There are people who don't read with their eyes ever. They're reading. They absolutely are. Read with your fingers, read with your eyes, read with your ears, all sorts of ways. Well, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for another round of Ask Anne Anything. Yes. And you know what? We had a really fun mailbag episode last fall. We should maybe do one of those too. We get some pretty great stories from you all via email. And if you do have a burning question, you can ask Brenna by email. You can hit reply to your newsletter, sign up at what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter. I just answered a whole bunch of questions on Instagram. I do that sometimes. My accounts are at Ann Bogle and with an E B as in books, O G E L and at what should I read next? So you don't have to wait another, what is this? 14 months. You don't have to wait <laughs> another 14 months to have your burning question answered. Brenna at modern B-R-E-N-N-A. I love seeing more personal emails come in. It's fun. Brenna, thank you for joining me for another round of Ask Ann Anything. Absolutely. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed this question and answer session with Brenna today. Head to the podcast site to share what you've been reading lately that you think I should know about at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 149. That's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. And if you have a burning question for next time, shoot Brenna a friendly email. You can reach her at Brenna at modernmrsdarcy.com. I'm so excited about next week's episode. We are hearing from Julie Mushkin, a seventh grade language arts teacher with a very surprising confession to get off her chest. So parents of my upcoming students might be a little scared by that confession when I said, you know, I have a confession to make. I'm not a reader Um, because as a language arts teacher, you would expect we would all be crazy about reading and read avidly in our free time and read and love everything. And that's just not the case for me. I can identify with students who don't always love to read. The thing that I said to my parents was until recently, I used reading more as a means to an end. I was always reading for content and I was always reading to get somewhere else with it. And what being a teacher has done for me is given me this opportunity to read for my job, but read for pleasure. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you are on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Pick up a copy of my new book, I'd Rather Be Reading, wherever new books are sold. And you can check out the hashtag online. It is I'd Rather Be Reading. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.